Welcome to the GMS Podcast, brought to you by GMS Distribution. GMS specializes in temporary portable power distribution equipment for the restoration contractor. I am your host and owner of GMS, Jared Steer, and today I will be talking to my friends. Hey, and we are recording. We are recording. I have got Chris Phelps here with me in, in actually a pretty a pretty cool place, different a different studio than I'm used to. Yeah. We're at the Phelps Game Calls, I guess, headquarters yeah, and, we, and recording here. This is where it all happens for anybody that's out there doing their thing. Um, this is where we blow Phelps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so anybody that doesn't know what Phelps is, uh very I mean, pretty much famous. If you're if you're calling to elk, if you're if you're elk hunting, yep. you're using a, a Phelps game call. Yeah, he uh he's done a fantastic job here. Um obviously as you can see we're in we're in the mix of it here, the yeah. distribution center. But uh, you know, we like it raw, we like it real. And uh, you know, Jason gave us the opportunity to be here in the in in house. And so I uh, can't take him enough for doing that. Obviously, you know, you, you're doing your thing with hunting. I thought it would be, yeah. you know, I thought it'd be kind of cool to bring you up here. And, it is. And, uh, you know, we're real people here, too. Oh, it's so. very cool. I'm glad I'm glad that uh, yeah. that we were able to do that. And Jason yeah. let us come up here. So Jason's your cousin. But yes. you, Chris Phelps, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Well, uh, born and raised here in PL, Washington. Um, you know, Pacific Northwest is my home. I... Uh, Started my construction business in 2006. Um, after working for you know a couple contractors in the area, realized I didn't like to be told what to do. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest. But uh, in reality, I uh, I you know sold the only thing that I had that was worth value at the time. Uh, actually, was my wife was pregnant with our firstborn, and so I had to do something. And okay. So I sold the quad, bought the tools, okay. was given the opportunity here in uh, in PL, which is you know town of 600 people and the community really rallied behind me, give me an opportunity to prove myself on the construction side of things. Um, you know, wasn't perfect in the beginning, but you know, what really is. And so, uh, you know, had the flood in 07, got my, my, my feet wet, if you will, uh, during that process of, of drying the homes around here with the ITA thermobile. Okay. Uh, we dried, you know, over 150 homes here locally. And it was, you know, it was basically the community coming together. It was not a money-making proposition. It was just, you know, you see your neighbor's house, get eight, 10 feet of water in it, you go and help. Gotcha. And so that was kind of my introduction to drying, uh, the, the, you know, the opportunity to do so. And then construction for me hasn't stopped. You know, that's my, that's my background. That's my bread and butter. You know, I mean, um, and then to have the opportunity to purchase a, a local smaller restoration company, somebody who took me under his wing. Okay. And then uh, back in 2000, August of 2017 is when I took that leap and really, you know, said we're going to do this and just have fallen in love with, you know, the industry in, as itself. And, and, of course, now, like yourself, getting, getting to know people like you. And um, it's a very unique industry. And yeah. I feel that, you know, I'd like to say that I'd like, I would fit into it, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, really just, you know, just hustling, um, and, and, you know, doing, doing what I can to, to provide back. And that's offer that, um, uh, it's part of that community service, right? We're still delivering value every single day to our customers. And, yep. and, and that's really what our, what my creed is, you know, it's people over profit. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, as, as small as the counties we live in of 80,000 people, they still need service. 
Oh, sure. Well. So, so you started that construction company in 06 and then pretty much right away in 07 got introduced to, yeah. to the flood side. Yep. But then what you grow the company, grow the construction yeah. company for 10 years. Yeah. So, um, that's essentially what I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I got into some, actually some rebuild projects, uh, and I would get referrals from this mitigation contractor. Oh, okay. And so then I, you know, got introduced to Xactimate, uh, you know, thought that was the greatest thing in the world because it really helped me on my estimating side. Okay. Know, it kind of, it supported, you know, what I knew, what I thought I should be billing, of course, and what my markers were and what my numbers were and that sort of thing. But um, it, it just, you know, I just nerded out on it, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was I was a self-taught Xactimate guy, and I still have so much to learn, obviously, honestly. But, um yeah, that was kind of that process, you know, and, and, and in the interim, you know, uh, aside from business, you know, coaching, that's something uh, that I have a, very much a passion for. I run the youth basketball here in PL. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to, to, you know, I was fairly successful in that field. Um, you know, went to play some college ball there, but, you know, I just – well, you're throwing all kinds of stuff at me now. I know. I well, really... you want to know what I'm about. That's that's. I mean, we get real deep, but you know what I was going to tie that into is uh, is essentially you know just helping people, teaching them, learning. That's the same with that same with our team guys. You know, yeah, teaching these guys how to 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 learn a trade here right out of high school. I give them opportunities to come work for me, and if they decide to continue, great, cool. But you know, a lot of them are going to college, which I totally support that. But it, you know, you know how it is to be get out of high school and try to generate for me, some money. Yeah, I'm. I wasn't going to college when I got out of high school. So, for me, electrical worked out really well. I wish – yeah, well, I can't say that I, I – I wish I hadn't gone to college because I learned so much. But I actually went to, to college to be a teacher. Oh, okay. Math teacher. And, you know, ended up where I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Life's a funny thing, man. It's a wild well, and ride. Well, and I'm still taking a college course every once in a while. So, oh. um, I, you know, I find it – I mean, obviously, learning is good, mm-hmm. and, you know, we can learn. But every time, for me, every time I take a college course, I don't know, it just, like, stimulates some things, makes me think of things a little differently. Um, but it, it always, I mean, it always pays itself Absolutely. Back, so, And I think that's something that, um, you know, as we get older, uh, you know, coming fresh off of Chuck's class back yeah. in Indiana, I mean, that was, oh, I, I wish I could do that every month. Go and learn, <laughs> yeah. you know, because – there is so much to learn, and, and, you know, I think if you take time off from that, uh, you really lose your edge. I really, really well, I feel like that. Chuck's class, too. I mean, especially for a first-time guy to come through it, there's still so much more oh. to take out of it. I mean, oh. you, can only, you can only hold so much new information. This is true, but uh, that was a, a life-changing experience, well, to be honest. Cool. You know, especially with the people in the room. I mean, you look around and, and see the influence – around you and you realize that, you know, you're in really great company. Yeah. So I can't thank Chuck enough for what he's done for the industry either. I mean, he's top notch human being. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, I still want to go back to your 10 years of construction. Cause I'm, yeah. I got my construction background. Let's, let's do construction. What, uh, so in this, in this area, in this mm-hmm. market, what is the, what's the kind of specialty? What did you specialize in or do, uh, in this area? I appreciate you asking me that. So I was a jack of all trades. Okay. So I didn't. I I I got myself into new construction, okay. I, rebuilds. Uh, obviously, meaning remodels, concrete work, a lot of roofing work. My okay. family did. We did a lot of roofs uh, back when I was in high school and college. That's what we did for side money. Okay. And so my uncle, actually Jason's dad, uh, kind of headed up that construction side of things. So I got a little bit of background, and so roofing. I mean. 
essentially really anything I could get my hands on. And I would always, if I was going to go do it for a customer, even if I didn't have the experience, I would reach out to other people or I would do it on my own home. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. you know, it, being out here in, uh, you know, uh, not too, not too populated, populated area. Right. You, you, you kind of have to be that jack of all trades in order to have a sustainable business where if you're in Seattle or Portland, you could, you could find your, uh, your niche and whether it be a drywall or an electrician or a plumber. And, and there's just not that much work here with the population of people to be able just to do homes. So you're, so you're doing plumbing work. No plumbing for me. I always contract that out. Okay. But, uh, as far as, you know, anything to do with your home, I've, I've done it. You know, anything that I'm authorized to do by our, our, our state of Washington. So no electrical for me, no plumbing, obviously, but okay. being around it, you know, uh, I have to have those, uh, endorsements to do that here in the state. So gotcha. But really everything, to be honest, anything that I could get my hands off with building, that's, that's what we did (laughs) for 10 years. I mean, and sometimes you would go new construction and then you get a remodel job and then you'd go and do concrete and you'd go and do a roof and then, you know, basically anything to, to keep that money coming in. Yeah, um, uh, it was what we is what we did. So, now what's the what's kind of like your favorite? What do you what do you enjoy the most? Uh, and I can say I'll go I'll go first. Yeah, what is your favorite? So I when I was doing because we did that we did new construction we did you know a little commercial not a whole lot um, we did a lot of of rebuilds. Mm-hmm. My favorite were kitchen remodels. So that was my favorite. <laughs> I would have to say that uh, any rebuild interior here yeah. in Washington is good for me, uh, you know, to go through, especially after mitigation, right, after water loss. Okay. You know, we're coming in. I love the, the process of, you know, when, they, when their eyes light up, they get new flooring and they get new cabinets, yeah. and they get, you know, and then they get to go through that process. So that was my favorite part is redoing interior work um, because you're out of the weather. <laughs> you're you're from indiana but i'm from washington we get a lot of rain here in, in, in western washington so you know but i i really did enjoy that process of of uh you know helping them through that uh you know that time of being able to to get them back together so okay. kitchen remodels or flooring or you know uh that was probably my favorite part it is neat doing you know having that transformation doing mm-hmm. you know going from before to after and kind of taking the customer there because i know for me I can see it. I can visualize it immediately. Yeah. I don't have to see it done. Right. I, I know what it's going to look like. And then when it looks like that, I'm like, yep, that's that's what I thought. You know, I've always looked at electrical as, as a form of art. Yeah. To be honest. I mean, I look at, I've got, we've got some guys here locally and, uh, you know, the way that they, you know, you've got your panel box and you've got your 90s, you know, oh, coming into your breakers. Yeah. You know, I always appreciated that. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a parallel perpendicular it's guy. It's got to look nice. <laughs> I mean, it's got to yeah, look Yeah, it does. Nice. Absolutely. And the fortunate part about your work is a lot of times you just see the receptacle. You don't get, you to, don't see get the, to see everything. <laughs> you don't get to see yeah. the rest of it. So, but yeah, I would, uh, um, I would have to say that I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, anything to do with uh, kitchen or bathroom. Yeah. You know, all, mostly interior work. So. so I always like it, like putting the recess cans up and, and measuring them out, making sure they hit the cabinets just right. Sure. Um, yeah. Even the, you know, just the It's harder than what lights. people think. Which, you know, for me, it's like when you come in and everything's centered and it's in the right spot, I mean, you have very, very small margins that yes. you have to hit. And on the rough end, when it's just studs yep. and there isn't drywall and there isn't cabinets, you know, but then you come back and it's like, yes, we, yep. we, we got it right. Everything's exactly where it's supposed to be. Yeah. That was, uh, I always enjoyed that. 
Well, that's a product uh, uh, that you're providing and a value to a customer, you know, that they don't have to sit there at the kitchen sink and see that the can light's half covered by the cabinet because <laughs> it's happened before. Uh, probably too too often than not. Probably too often. Yeah. No, so I always, yeah, I always enjoy that. And then just, and just taking the customer there, I mean, yeah. from – from you know, it's like they they have it and they want to they want to change it, and then we come through and just demolish stuff and just rip everything apart. And they're and they're just kind of I've had someone's like, I hope this works out okay, <laughs> and then uh, you know then you right. walk them through the final, yeah. and they're just like, wow, this yeah. is amazing. And I always had I always felt like I had the um, kind of like a, a privilege, but I had you know like my job was was cooler in the sense of you know if you're a heating guy. Like you put your heating and stuff in, and sure. it, it's there. The plumber, I mean, you may have a sink. I'm the guy that gets to turn the lights on. Yeah, exactly. And when the lights come on, that's when you're the energizer. That's like the magic yeah. happens. You know, it's like Absolutely. that's when the job really goes. Like, wow. And you're, so, are you still doing any any type of? I'm not. I'm no. not on. Hmm. No, uh, you know, focusing on focusing on the power distribution sure. boxes and marketing those and educating. Um, now we did just buy a house. So I am going to get to go through and add some can lights because there's a lot of uh, switch plugs in the oh, home, yeah. so there's no ceiling lights. So I, I am actually excited switch about plugs. going oh, through gosh. and, and yeah, getting rid of those. <laughs> I can't I can't stand lamps in a room, man. I can't stand it. But so I am excited about going through our our new well, home and and that's awesome. I'm going to get to play again. And, that's good and put some can lights in and it'll be well, fun. I think it's uh it's it's you know some of those things that we we get ourselves used to and. I find myself if I get away from, let's say, a kitchen remodel for a while, and I go to new new construction, I come back to that. I just really find out what I miss about it, you know. And it kind of it reenergizes me to like, oh yeah, I get to do this again, you know. Yeah. Um, to where you know, it. it I'm not going to say it becomes monotonous, but you know, like if you're just a, a drywaller or you're just a you know a painter, I mean, that's all you're doing all day long. And some guys enjoy it, but I like to do different things. Yeah. You know, I, I it's hard for me to stay in one spot. <laughs> and too. and so uh that's something that i find really unique about this area is is that i can provide that level of quality um and that's what i really strive for is the quality okay and that's what i'm that's what i'm going to deliver on on the restorative side as well and uh i see this you know this this trend of guys that are just going in and they're they're charging you know premium dollar for you know, something that really I could have my 14 year old do. Okay. And as far as quality goes and, you know, um, because of work around here, you know, there's, there's tons of work. I mean, guys are two, three, four months out right now and they're just hammering these projects and they're not taking time to be the craftsman. Okay. And so that's really discouraging to me to see that happening in our industry. It's just, they're getting, they're getting pushed to they're get to the next lazy. job, get to the next yeah, job. The, the, the margins of profit are getting, they're, they're reducing. I mean, okay. you know, uh, yep. We could get into a whole other podcast about price increases of what we're seeing across the board right now. I mean, we've, we're going to end up having another 15% increase in commodities yeah. in March. So, therefore, you know, that's going to happen, and that has to be passed on to the customer. And so, uh, you know, again, it goes back to your profit margin on what you're making. So, when you, when these customers are used to paying, you know, a certain value, certain dollar amount for for something to be done on their home and they're like wow that's 35 40 percent more than the last time i had it done yeah and then you show them the paperwork on it so you're seeing a reduced amount of quality in, in this area and, that, and that's not to say all is that just to try to keep the prices down yes. to yes. try to keep cut them? corners okay 
keep the profit margins up. And I, I and for me, you know, I've always been the way I was raised. Doesn't matter if you if you go into an agreement and you know you set your price forth. Yeah. You know, you better know your numbers. And if you end up going overboard, uh, it's you know it's important that you somehow make that up. I, I don't care if you go, you know, but the quality should always be there. Right. Always. It yeah. doesn't matter what. And that that's what I'm going to carry over the restorative side. And, and that's why I feel it's so important. You know, my goal on the restorative side is, you know, to dry like Chuck DeWald dries. That's <laughs> okay. my goal. I want to be the best here. Yeah. That's my goal. And um, whether I achieve that or not, time will tell. But I'm going to do my dead level best to do that. And then, you know, try to get people in their homes quicker. Okay. You know, by reducing the rebuild cost, and I and I hope that you know I'm confident that's going to bring value to carriers and 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 adjusters and agents and everybody that's involved in this process. And I just feel very strongly about delivering quality. Yeah. You know, I feel it's so important that we have quality in our industry, and and you know I'm just going to try to do my part here, Southwest Washington. So now you're able to do, but you're able, you're going in, you're doing the drying, and you're doing the rebuild, you're yeah. doing the put back. Yeah. So there's some jobs that uh, that I have the privilege of, you know, after the mitigation, you know, the customers like, you know, you did such a fantastic job with everything. I would like you to do a rebuild as well. So okay. it works hand in hand. Yep. Um, but again, you know, I think of myself. Like I was telling you off the air, like you should go into every project like it's your mother's house. Right. You should treat it like you know. It's, it's, you know, somebody that gave, you know, give you life essentially. So there that having that mentality going in and, and taking care of the emotional, not only emotional loss, but the physical loss. Uh, I think the emotional loss is far more important. And that, that's something I feel, you know, uh, that I have that ability to do so. And with that, getting him in the house quicker, kind of, it, it, it definitely helps with that emotional loss. Okay. So, um, and again, you know, a lot of guys look at it, well, you're not ripping and tearing. You're not, you know, getting the rebuild price up. Sure. You know, I, just not something I'm a believer in. You know, it, you should handle what's in front of you. Uh, you know, I was just listening to, to the gentleman there in San Diego, the repair guy. Yeah, Elon. Uh, okay, so his business model, like, don't don't repair what doesn't need to be repaired. Yeah. And that's really, uh, that that, you know. I related to that very closely. Yeah, he uh, kind of like on his on his side, his model. He just customizes his yeah. his plan to what the he customer. Ca- yeah, wants. he caters to the, what the customer can afford. Yeah, you know, and so that's what we do. Uh, we don't go overboard with with the remodel part of things. We look at what the scope is with the insurance and and what they're providing, and we sit down with the customer and say, okay, this is what we have. We fought very hard for. We've negotiated an agreed cost of repair. Yeah, and now we're going to move forward with your rebuild, and let's discuss, you know, what you. Uh, what you want to do with that, you know? So again, it's just, and I said this before, it's people over profit. Yeah. We all got to make money, but it's just, when I leave here, when I, when I, when I go wherever I'm going, you know, I want to leave that impression is, you know, you, you got to be there for the people. Yeah. No, I like that. Now what's, what have you noticed is a, is like a difference from, Going to construction, which I, I'm thinking, like, if you're doing a lot of construction work, you're working for individuals, not insurance companies. So is that I do right? both. Or yep. I, I uh, so as far as the uh, the rebuild stuff that we're doing now, or you know, actually, we just got done building Jason this beautiful home. <laughs> yeah, uh, which chewed up a lot of time, you know, for me. But 
That was something that we desired to do. It's close to home. Obviously, you know, I brought you over from my place. It was what, not five minutes, right? Yeah. You know, so yeah, wake up every minutes. day, I'm five minutes from my house. So that was really a uh, that was a fun project. But you know, didn't have the opportunity to do a lot of mitigation work. But now that we're getting back available, okay. I got a lot more time. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we are gonna we are gonna go and and we you know, we work for the customer. Obviously, we're not working. I work with the customer to negotiate these prices. Obviously to be able to get their house back to a pre-loss condition. Um, but essentially that's something, uh, you know, f- for the contractors in the area, I hear a lot of on your podcast about TPAs. Yeah. I've been approached by several TPAs, uh, you know, Alacrity, Sedgwick, Blue Dog. They want me to come on board and I'm just really apprehensive about that just because of, I believe in organic jobs. Okay. And, yeah. and, but you know, I also want to be, it's a hard decision for me because, you know, I know that the work is available and I want to help people. And I feel like if those people aren't being helped properly, and I'm not saying that other companies aren't helping them properly, but I know what we can do. Yeah. And so it's, it's a really hard decision for me right now. I'm really battling with that to, to, to be committal. And I've tried to negotiate a, you know, a unique contract with them to where I'm not under that proverbial thumb. <laughs> so, that's something, uh, you know, if I'm being fully transparent, it, it's a really hard decision because I am in such an area where, you know, our, our coverage area is, is vast. You know, we're, we're 100 miles each way, essentially. Yeah. I don't have the opportunity to be dead down in Kirkland or Seattle, you know, uh, where even though it takes you probably an hour to travel 10 miles or 20 miles or whatever it might be at times. <laughs> I drive 23 miles. It takes me 23 minutes typically. Yeah. That doesn't so, happen where I live. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, that's where we're headed. And, um, you know, we are, we are getting things set up. You know, my wife became a part of the business. She's been a, she's been a huge part because I used to try to do it all. Okay. I used to think that I could try to do it all. The, the, the paperwork side and also being in the field and, and I, you know, I was, slacking in the paperwork side because I wasn't willing to compromise what I was doing in the field. So she came on board. We've been, you know, we're honestly not only, uh, we're just a great partnership all the way around. Couldn't be thankful enough. So, you know, Mandy, she's doing, she's doing everything in the office and, and we're getting set up for our marketing campaign right now to really start to generate. We're going to do some fundraisers. We're going to do some charitable events with golf tournaments and so forth here. Okay. Up, up in uh, early summer uh, here locally at Riverside golf. So just getting us getting us familiar uh, with with the community, you know, or I should say, getting them familiar with us, sure, and getting them comfortable, and that's really our goal uh, moving forward is just to create that connection and that uh, you know that we're there to to you know to do what we do start building those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. So um, now I, I probably got it off into the weeds here, but um, essentially that's uh, as a whole what we're doing right now. I've I've really turned down a lot of work because. You know, I, I took the training, you know, uh, with, with, with Chuck DeWald and then, you know, Barry Costa within a matter of a month. Okay. I mean, I've always had, I've always hired techs and I didn't get my water restoration tech here till what, November of 2020. Okay. So getting that and then going to Chuck's class, it was, it was a whirlwind of, you know, of, of information, <laughs> but it was fantastic. And I just, now I'm like, just eager to do more, Yeah. you know, to learn more and, you know, that's when I sought you out and I just want to be, I just want to be part of that conversation, part of that, that really that E3 revolution as we could, you know, kind of casually talk about, but really it's, it's going to change what we do. Oh, uh, sure. And, and so bringing that element into with what I can do with construction 
and uh, I'll just take I'll just take it wherever my spirit, you know, wherever the Lord takes me. That's that's where I fully intend on going. And that could take me, like I said, with my background, I I like to do a lot of various different things. So whoever needs the help, and if I'm there available to help, and if I'm told to help them, I'm going to do it. Well, saying you have a, I mean, you have a lot of of different skills and a lot of different services that you can offer. Yeah. So we've done pack out services, uh, you know, with that process. I mean, again, um, to to go from not only mitigation to pack out services, which means contents. You know, we're we're doing that as well. Yeah. And then the rebuild part of it. Uh, it's just trying to refine my mitigation right now. That's what I'm focusing on and really being the best drying, uh, I'm drying specialist that I can be really. Okay. Cause the construction side, I'd like to say that, you know, I've got that, I've got that good there fairly taken care of. And I got a lot of great subcontractors that I work with, uh, to, if I'm not able to do something, I can bring somebody else in to have them help. But really the, the, the water mitigation side is, is where my focus is right now. Well, when you're saying you're struggling with getting with TPAs or, or not, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, the thing that, I, the positive thing that I've heard out of TPAs is just work. You get work. Yeah. Um, now, not to say, it, it doesn't seem, it doesn't sound like the work is always profitable or as profitable as people right. like. Uh, that's, that's just like my generalization of, of yeah. from what I've heard. Now, well, and then also the freedom, the freedom to, right. to do, do your own thing, name your own prices, that kind of thing. But with your marketing, I mean, that sounds like you're working on getting more jobs that way too. So yeah, so we're going to do that first. Yeah, and 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 I think we need to really put forth an honest effort on on the genuine side of gaining gaining and and getting those organic jobs. I you know the TPA, it's it's really honestly it's the easy way out. Okay. It's, it because you don't have to market. You sign the contract, you take on the jobs. You know, at least that's my that's my my interpretation of it. Um, but, but like you said, you know, I, I think the freedom part of it, I, I go back to what I said before. I don't, I got into this business because it's, you know, being my, my own boss essentially, cause it's, right. it was hard for me being told what to do. Yeah. So that, that's again, and I don't know if other people are struggling with that right now, um, because they, that, that we're really being sought after. I mean, again, just to repeat myself, but that's something, um, that's just the reality of what I'm going through right now in this process of trying to figure out what's my best direction. And I hear that's the value of your podcast that I get to hear these guys that have done the TPAs and they say it's some for some, you know, it wasn't for us. Yeah. Or there's some that, you know, like a Chris Laney who has, you know, been doing this for 20 years and he's just, you know, kept his nose to the grindstone and he's done everything that needs to be done. And he's genuine. He's authentic. He's real, you know, he's organic. And that's what I desire to be as well. You know, yeah. I aspire to be these guys. You know, I know that they may be a few years ahead of me in age, but their experience in this industry, you know, is is far more. Well, and everybody started somewhere. And now yeah. for you yeah. to have the resources that you have, it's only going to help and accelerate your yeah. growth. But so I'm wondering on the marketing side, what have you decided to do for the for the marketing? And and kind of like how, how did you decide to do that? What were kind of the options you were looking at? What were you weighing out? And then you decided, you know what, we're going to try this. So what we did is, you know, we've, we've, we've done a lot of our business. Uh, I would say before we did Jason's project here uh, was 50-50. 50% of our income was coming from mitigation. 50 was rebuild or, or construction side. Okay. okay. Yep. Once, you know, uh, so when I, I had an accident in October and broke a couple of ribs, collapsed the lung, was an ATV accident. I won't go into those details with you, but <laughs> okay. I got an opportunity to think a lot. 
Okay, you got some time off. I got some time off. That's a good way of putting it. So took the time and then just started writing writing things down. Like where do I want I'm you know, I'm thirty seven years old. Where do I want to be in a year? Where do I want to be in five years? Where do yeah. I want to be in ten years? And it's so important for the next phase of what we're doing, uh, to have on paper and because and, I get calls all the time. So it's like, okay, we're gonna go do this job, we're gonna do this job, we got this job and it's never you know, we always got something on the slate. But after doing that soul searching, really find out that I want to do water mitigation. Okay. Because I like to help people. Love yeah. to help people. We decided that we were going to go, because I know a lot of people in the uh, insurance world here. It's a small community. Yeah. So a lot of these guys I've played basketball with over the years, and you go in and you, you know, talk to them and w- tell them what you're about, and then say, if you need somebody, one of your customers needs help, you know, we're, we're happy to help them. So here's our card. You can have them give us a call. And then word of mouth. But we feel like, you know, we're, we're generating, you know, like I said, 50-50. Um, we just feel it was important. We're going to do the social media thing. We're getting, we've had our website, but we haven't done anything with it. Okay. So everything I've done has been word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Everything everything from, from day one has been, you know, a, a verbal referral virtually for, for every every job we've ever done. We've never done any advertising at all. So, but when the, with, you know, to compete with the franchisees and the ones that are doing the TPAs and then get that are getting those calls, you got to find unique ways. So again, I go back to, we're going to do some charitable events. Yeah. We're going to do some giveaways. We're going to work with local businesses doing gift cards and so forth, just to get, you know, on the social media platform. And we're going to try that out and see, you know, what kind of, and I think that's going to be very effective for us because, you know, everybody's on social media. Yeah virtually no are you looking at a specific platform uh right now uh i you know i've got an instagram account okay but have not really paid a whole lot of attention to it because i lo- you know i'm out in the field more than probably what i should be i need to focus more on this and that was goes back to the time that i had an opportunity to think about what we got to do facebook obviously um but that's really the two only platforms you know i've done the twitter thing but it's really not i don't think it's appropriate platform you know, for, for what we're doing. Um, well, I think a lot, I mean, cause I'm on the, you know, I'm on a couple of different things, to, mm-hmm. you know, different platforms too, and try to stay active in social media. And for me, you know, one is you gotta find your customer, mm-hmm. but then two, you really have to be comfortable with the platform. And so yeah. I can like Twitter for me, it just wasn't a good fit for me. Right. And so it was like, well, how can I market on here? If I don't right. even want to be on here. <laughs> yeah. And it, it may, now my wife loves Twitter. Yeah. So maybe I haven't like figured it out yet. I don't know. But yeah, Twitter's pretty brief. You know, I mean, people get on there to just you know they, they just it's a different if it, it's a different it's just a different platform. Yeah, altogether. I haven't been on it. I haven't been on it for a while, so I don't even. Yeah, don't even well, know. especially this season we're in now, it's hard to get a word edgewise in. <laughs> if you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. that being said, I think Facebook's very powerful because what I'm going to do. So what Larry Cooper does, and this is what I picked up from him. Okay. With the experience and. And we talked about that too a little bit and, and my connection with Larry and us going and doing the flood houses there uh, at the experience for the last couple of years. He's you've been building the flood houses. Yeah. So that's where I felt that I could deliver value. Cool. And then met guys like Barry Costa, Alex Ledecky, you know. So you're uh, really just growing your network. Yeah. And, I mean, and knowing people, you yeah. know. Um, it, and that's, that's, where I, that's where I started. And, and I just started asking questions. Yeah. Like, what do you think I should do? I mean, this is what, this is the, this is what our population is, you know, and, and, you know, I had one guy there. He's like, well, hand out magnets. Oh, 
Yeah, I never really go to door, go to door to door. And I, that was your last one of your last podcasts was, you know, that's what you did. You, you, you Googled, Google mapped it. I did. 50, yeah, I 50, went door 50, to door, you know, yeah. it was like, you go to this, you know, coffee stand or whatever. Like, well, that's, that's not a restoration company or <laughs> right, right. <laughs> type of thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm learning more about that because I really haven't had to do that. Okay. You know what I mean? And, 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 you know, but it sounds like you have a good relationship with the plumbers in the area and the adjusters yep. or the insurance building agents. More, or, yeah, get, building more and more as we do more jobs, and you know, you get in their system and you get familiar with them, and they get to get familiar with you. Yeah, and then they get comfortable with you because you know that you're you're upfront, you're honest, you're transparent with with everything that you're putting forth. Well, and, there's and no then you have business. happy customers at the end. Absolutely, yeah. that's the key. That's the key. You yeah. know, customer satisfaction is number one. So, yeah, I'm just we're we're gonna do some. Uh, when I when I say launch our marketing campaign, you know, uh, our first our first step is going to to do giveaways. Okay, we're gonna we're simple stuff like we're gonna go out and get a coffee card from Lewis County Coffee Company. Yep. You know, we're gonna do stuff like that. Put and and you know, put my ugly mug on the screen and say this is what we're doing today. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I actually might even get my daughter involved. You know, and she's she's very charismatic. You know, yeah. she's 11 years old, but she loves the camera. So, yeah. but we're a family, you know, we're family oriented, as you can see, yeah. <laughs> sitting in yeah. Phelps Game Call Studio as we speak. So, you know, that's just something I think it's very important um, that we're a family oriented business and we're real people. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's, that's really important to me is, is, uh, so now how are the giveaways going to work? Are you so gonna, what you we're going to do is we're, get, yeah, get so cards. What I, lo- what I learned from Larry was, is that you share, you, you hashtag. Okay. You know, Phelps Restoration, and then, you know, we're going to do different jobs. So I'm going to get my customers involved, my past customers. Okay. We're going to post pictures, you know, uh, have them write something, hopefully something nice. Like re- good reviews? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and really get that out there because that's so powerful now. I mean, that's actually more, more reviews, powerful. Yeah. yeah, the reviews part of it really put, holds us honest, too, because that's, a, that's something that, you know, somebody that reviews your company, we have virtually no control over. Right. After it's said and done, right, right. You you do have the opportunity to change that in the forefront of the project and do them right. Um, so that's that's kind of how we're going to do the giveaways, just to get out there, get people familiar with the PR, the Phelps Restoration, right? PRs, personal relations. Yeah, you know that was kind of my you know sketch when I did it, and went with the red, white, and blue because you know I'm. I'd like to consider myself a true patriot. So that's why I went with those colors. And, you know, that's really the model that we're trying to strive by. Genuine, authentic, transparent company that is out there to help people. So that's uh, what we're going to start with. And, you know, I'm going to continue to educate myself on the marketing side of things, you know, as much as I can. And I know there's far more, uh, there's different platforms, you know, like you get these companies that say, well, we're going to put you first on Google type of thing. But really, is that what you're doing or is it just a, you know, so I, I have a hard time trusting that part of it. Okay. And how many times, though, think about this. How many times do, you know, if somebody gets a flood loss, who do they call first typically? They either call their agent or they call their insurance company. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but mo- everybody that I I've talked to. I think that's a pretty. Yeah, everybody yeah. I've talked to, at least I would say 90% of, the, of my customers. I'm like, okay. I said, I'm just curious. Like, did you Google? Did you, you know, would you, no, I just called my agent because I know them and I feel comfortable with them. And that's why I think it's, it's very important to also get familiar with the agents around the area and show them what you, and what your feedback is. Because again, it's, it's going to project off them. If they're recommending company, you know, it's going to, if you do a poor job, it's going to reflect on them poorly. 
Well, yeah, so, they're not going to call you back. No, absolutely not. And so, you know, nobody wants to look like a schmuck. You know, <laughs> at least I don't. <laughs> so that's kind of where uh, that's that that's just you know, that's some of my thoughts on on the marketing side of things, and that's really going to propel us, I believe. And as we get more exposure and we do more jobs, and that's kind of what I was considering the TPA, just simply because to get us out doing the work, so we have a broader customer base. Okay, does that make sense? It does. So you do more customers for somebody in Montesano or Olympia or Tacoma, and then all of a sudden that spreads like wildfire. Like these guys do a really good job. I don't know. I don't know if it. I'm trying to think about it because I don't know. Like, yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get more work, but does it does it turn into more profitable work later? I feel like you'd be better to spend your time with those agents. Yeah, and really exhausting that path first. The struggle's real. The struggles, <laughs> the struggles, real. Yeah, yeah. That's, just, that's what I would think. I don't, sure. but I don't, but I don't know. No, I, I appreciate those thoughts. You know, and that's I struggle with my own marketing constantly. So I, like, I have no idea. I'm doing. I a think podcast. you're doing a pretty good I job. No idea. I think you're doing a pretty good job. Very. Uh, what you're doing for our industry and connecting. I told you that you're, you know, no pun intended. Maybe a pun intended, but you're the guy that's plugging us all in. You know, I'm getting familiar with guys that you know have extreme amount of value to offer to me as a, as a, you know, a newbie, if yeah. you will. And, and they're talking about, uh, I, I apologize, the gentleman from Pine Ridge. Rick McWiggin. Okay. So Rick, I found his, you know, that was, I believe episode 49. And what he had talked about was very valuable. Like a lot of the concepts, like there's no titles here. I love team. that. Right? I love that. I am that. going to I hope it's okay with him, but I'm going to I'm going to bring that into what we do. Adopt that. Yeah, because it puts you in this box, right? But anyway, yeah, for anybody who didn't catch that, so so Rick in his company nobody has a title on their business nobody. card. No one has it. Everybody is responsible for everything. And that is what we including do. him as the owner yeah. doesn't have a title on his card. You know, but that's so that that just goes to show you though that that you know you're flowing to the work, you're doing what it takes to be a successful company, and nobody's above anybody else, right? You know, you oh, have I love that, it. You have that same opportunity, and and you know it's a level playing field when it comes to like we're a team. Like exactly. I'm not going to be jealous of this guy because he's a project manager and then he acts like a project manager, right? Because he's like, oh, it's that's above my pay grade. Nobody's above pay grade here, right? You know, if the floor needs swept, sweep the floor, right? Yep. Garbage needs taken out, take the garbage Teamwork. out. Teamwork, absolutely, so important. And what he talked about, you know, again, that, that delivering value, well, that was what probably resonated with me the most. And that's what you're doing for me. That opportunity to, to, to listen to other people that are going through these different struggles. And, you know, as we continue on, if we can all, if you can start to reach out to different contractors, you know, to be able to, because we're really a community. Like, that's yeah. the way I view it as and. He talked about competitors. You know, the minute you somebody starts talking about net profit, you know that you that they're your competitor, versus uh, you know somebody that's willing to say, hey, you know what, if you need equipment at you know yeah. at twelve a.m. or whatever it might be, like we're there to help you. That's that is what I desire to have for this industry. And well, I think that takes a. I mean, it takes it takes an understanding that there's enough work out there for everyone. Yeah. When you get a job, you didn't take that from someone. Exactly. There's enough work out there for everybody. Absolutely. And as long as everybody's coming together to do the work that they have as good as they can yeah. to help the customer, then yeah, there's no there's no problem when when you need help relying on some other people. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's uh, it's your competition, right? But but no, you know, form yeah. form a team, get some alliance for sure. We got back from Chuck DeWald's class. I had uh, Santos up at Premier Water call me. He was okay, on a, yeah, yeah, he was on a job, and you know, he he just you know he needed some clarity on some of the stuff he was plugging into the app. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'll I'll go. I'd love to nerd this out with you. So he <laughs> gave me all the details. We worked together on it, and uh, that that's fun for me. You know, yeah. when guys call me, I, I, I really, you know, I'm, pr- I'm very humbled by that. When somebody else calls me and asks me for help, you know, because I'm usually the guy calling somebody else to ask for help. So, you know, my other guy that used to work for me is now Paul Davis in Colorado. He calls me constantly and I call him constantly. Cool. It's so important because sometimes there's just those little things that you miss that you just need. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. Or it, 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 the, the value again of the industry and the people that are in the restorative industry is just blowing me away on how giving they are of their time and their knowledge and, you know, uh, uh, of helping not only each other out, but that goes to go to our customers as well and helping them out. Yeah. So it trickles down for sure. It is a trickle down. Yeah. So, but it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's fun. It's what I enjoy to do, you know, amongst other things. You know, I mean, we could probably sit in here and talk two hours well, on the podcast with hunting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely want to ask you about about that. But, okay, what we'll do, I want to know about basketball because you, you played yeah. in college. Is, is I did. What? I played at junior college here so, locally. Yeah, that's where I want, I want to go there. Yeah, so uh, college ball, you know, growing up, worked very hard. Uh, come from a, a, you know, hardworking family. If you want something, go get it. Yeah. You know, um, we – I had some exposure there. You know, we was able to play at the state tournament uh, – several times and then got some exposure, went to play college ball at Centralia College here. Got recruited to go down to um, uh, Simpson Bible College down in Reading. Okay. And uh, I was super excited for that opportunity, but the Lord had a different path for me. I actually ended up – that's where – and I should have started with this, and I apologize. But So Matt and Heidi down there, who is a – he's a, you know, a third cousin of mine. His wife was diagnosed with, with terminal cancer. Mm. And they had a, uh, at the time, they had a 12 and a 9-year-old, 12-year-old son, 9-year-old daughter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what I believe I was. Basketball got me there. So I ended up not playing. I ended up kind of being their nanny, if you will. Okay. I, you know, uh, would take them to practices and tutor and school and that sort of thing because Heidi wasn't well uh, right. to do anything. And Matt was doing the construction thing. He had owned, owned a construction business down there. When you were studying to be a teacher, I was studying to be a teacher. Yes. So, okay. so it, you know, it just—it's funny how life happens. But mm-hmm. that that time, that nine months in Reading changed my life. You know, uh, still maintain relationships with uh, with with the kids. Obviously, they're grown now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, still, still keeping close contact with Matt. But he taught me a lot of the construction side. So that really sparked my interest on the construction side of things when I was in college. And uh, give me that, you know, continued to support, you know, that passion that I had for, I've always wanted to own my own business. I just didn't, didn't know what yeah, type of thing growing up. And then, uh, you know, construction was a thing. But, yeah, that basketball led into, you know, becoming a part of, you know, help. And that goes back to just, you know, helping people, right? Yeah. Uh, and doing that, learning the construction. And so it's just funny on the path that life takes you and just been very blessed uh, in, in a lot, well, I say a lot, all areas of my life, yeah. family. And really what's, what's funny is that I would always pray about having children just like Tyler and Katie. And I got Tyler and Katie. 
I got. I mean, I'm not kidding you. If you were to put their temperament side by side, yeah, this is no joke. Temperament side by side, they are they. You're two kids. Oh there. my goodness, man! My daughter's. She is a lot. She's extra. She's and energetic. Yeah, and passionate. You know, my son, super smart, super mellow. Okay, right. it's all time series. And so it, it, it's just unique on how life happens that way, and 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 how I've been blessed in a lot of those regards. So, and then you started coaching ball. I did. So, again, now what level? So let's see. My first coaching gig was in Reading. Okay, I, co- I actually coached sixth grade girls, and uh, took them to the took them to their little area championship. It did very well there. Were you teaching at that school also? I, no, I was not. I was actually just coaching. Yep, just coaching. Okay. Um, and uh, and doing the college thing, I actually ended up coming back to Washington St. Martin, Martin's University, but coached there first, and then got into junior high basketball up here in PL. I okay. coached boys and girls uh, for about four years, and then had the both, off- both at the same time. Yeah, so their seasons their seasons staggered, so it would be okay. So the girls, I was like, you yeah, are a busy- oh yeah, oh no, I got my I, I, yeah. Like I said, I can't stay in one place at one time, but. Having, you know, coaching that and, and, you know, getting to see those kids grow on top of running my business. So, really, wintertime was kind of an idle. I mean, I would do work, obviously, but then I would coach a lot. Yeah. You know, and then got my opportunity to coach high school girls basketball. and did that for six years and then also ran the youth basketball program because, uh, obviously, I wanted my kids to have, you know, as best opportunities they could. Nobody was, nobody was really organizing anything. Okay. So, we hosted a lot of games here, and really, we wouldn't just teach our kids, but we would teach the game of basketball uh, the best of our ability, and, and we would stop the game at times and explain to everybody, you know, especially the young younger kids, third, fourth graders, yeah. they're learning how to play the game. We want to see it played right because then when they get to that next level, obviously you want the purity of the game and, and the understanding to be there, and so that's what we try to deliver that value to these young people, and I can't tell you the amount of, you know, relationships I've developed over the years with just coaching. Oh, sure. I mean, genuine, awesome relationships. So, yeah, that that carried my passion for basketball still exists. And, of course, with COVID last year was – it just kind of threw me through a loop, you know. It's like, sure, I know basketball. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we're getting back into it. I actually just talked to my college coach today. My kids do training with him. Okay. And uh, that's kind of – it's just really – the roundabout, how things come back through and how people that you spend a lot of time with delivering value, they want to deliver that value back to you. That's cool. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's so cool. So, you know, that's just a quick, like, blip now of basketball. Well, your kids, though, do they have the same passion you do for basketball? My daughter, uh, it's kind of unique. My, You know, I kind of had the hands-off approach with them. You okay. know, I didn't want them to feel that because dad played basketball that sure. they were expected to be basketball players. So I've always tried to provide them an opportunity to to be well at whatever they wanted to be well at. Yeah. So uh, my daughter, obviously, she clung on to that right away. You know, she was she was in the gym with me all the time. She was our manager. So her she was dribbling around, you know, from the time she was in <laughs> kindergarten, really, to be honest. And my son, yeah. you know, he had the, my brother was a boys basketball coach here locally. So my son was their manager. So he had that same opportunity. But this last, so your brother was as another coach. Yeah, did he, he play in college too? Uh, you guys like a basketball family. Yeah, basketball family. He uh, he decided not to play. He actually, you know, grew quite a bit after high school. Okay, and, and you know, yeah. developed physically. 
Um, he could have played. You know, I, I, I certainly think that he could have if he would have committed himself to that. But, um, but same pass. Still knows the game. Still knows the game. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I, I hate to, I hate to admit this, but almost knows the game better than I do. <laughs> but uh, you know, the great thing about that, we always bounce ideas. We, we you know, go to games together, and um, just a really, you know, awesome experience with these kids and what you get to do uh, and teach and and not only just basketball but life. I like to teach life the best I can. Yeah. And offer the kids opportunities to and how basketball can relate to life, you know, teamwork and hard work and dedication and, you know, that sort of thing. So um but back to your question about the my kids, you know, they my son last year I co- I went back to coaching him. I coached him when he was really young. I stepped back because I felt like he was being pushed away and I didn't really want that. I wanted him to just feel for himself what he wanted out of the game yeah and last year he just blew me away like he just went and so it was like whoa to me i'm like inside like yeah pumped up you know like this is it you know so just allowing them to kind of develop that um for themselves oh yeah to find that passion for themselves and and you know that's what it's really all about it's not what 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 mom and dad think you should do right i 100 percent agree you know if you have a passion or you know because he's my son Quantum physics. He was telling me all about quantum physics the other day, you know, and just telling me, I'm like, you're going to have to stop right there because you're talking way over your dad's head right now. (laughs) But it's like I want to provide him that opportunity, you know, if he's got the passion to do that. My daughter wants to be an interior designer and just got that vision like you talked about. She can visualize things. So giving them that opportunity to be great. I just want my kids to have that opportunity to be great. So. No, that's dude, that's awesome. I mean, I, I love hearing that. I mean, I think that's. I, mean, I would hope that's every parent's right <laughs> dream for for their kids. But yeah. I know, uh, I know, just in my experience or in my life with my son Carson was as he as he grew up. I mean, we you know introduced to pretty much everything. You know, yeah. Uh, and then he really gravitated towards sports. And he's so, a football. You know, he's, yeah, he's a hundred percent football. But yeah. you know, he started. We started with soccer. And, you know, we did, like, a season of that, and he's like, eh. And right. then we went to T-ball. He hated T-ball. Same with my son. I don't know if I ever told this story on the podcast. This is a great story. Yeah. So, Let's hear it. So we're, we have T-ball practice. So we're having dinner. After dinner, we're going to T-ball practice. It, it, Carson is not eating. His, he's not, He's just, like, picking through his food, like, Does going Does he know slow. practice is coming? He knows practice. Yeah, oh. like, we got to get to practice. <laughs> and so I told him, like, I'm like, Carson, like, bro, come on. Eat faster. We got to go. And he's still, Carson, eat faster. And he's still just picking through it. And I go, I go, Carson, if you don't finish that in the next couple of minutes, you're going to be grounded. And he looks at me and he goes, can I be grounded from T-ball? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> and I think, I think it was at that moment it was very clear. <laughs> that T-ball wasn't going to happen. T-ball is not the road for Carson. Yeah, that's uh... – Kids are, they know, you know, that oh, they, they're, they're – Can I be grounded from T-ball? <laughs> that's, you should have that. Is, how old is he now? Oh, you don't mind me asking? He'll be well. He'll be nineteen next week. Oh, I was going to say that'd be great. Yeah. Maybe for his college graduation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he could come in like, yeah, this is what this is what we said. Could I be grounded from oh, life? Oh, so or funny from T-ball. But then, yeah, then he went to basketball, and, he, and then but then as soon as he started football, yeah, it was play it again, play it again, play it again, play. It. And I think we signed him up like we did. There was like five seasons. I didn't even know they travel broke, football existed. Oh, I mean, he went. He went probably seven or eight years. Really? Just like, net, like we always 
I mean, in seven years, we had practice every week. We had games on the weekends. Really? I mean, he was just 100% in. That's awesome, though. And you guys provided them that opportunity, and we try to do that same. Uh, Just, it's their time. Just support. Yeah, it's their time now. You know, I mean, I had a time. We all had our time as, as kids, and, you know, my wife and I have committed to, you know, obviously getting the business up to a point where we can handle the still family time. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of sand duning, you know, uh, family trips, stuff like that. So family's super important. Is it sand duning? Well, yeah, we go to the sand dunes. Uh, okay. So how, it, you call it a lot of different things. but uh, well, We have sand dunes up in from Indiana up in Michigan. We have the sand dunes. Oh, really? I just wanted to make sure I heard you correctly that you yeah. said sand duning. Yeah. Okay. Sand dunes, you know, sand duning. There's... Uh, when I mean, it's like kids. We're going to the sand dunes, and they're super pumped about it. We go to the, down to Oregon coast. Okay, so we do Winchester Bay, Florence, Sand Lake. I've never done Coos Bay. Here. It's pretty good for for the uh, UTVs. Okay, so like you know, it's two, the two seat, four seat, the Razors and the Can Ams and yep. so forth. Um, you know, we got the toy hauler. We go down there. My dad, of all people, is go, goes down there with us now. He bought a trailer. <laughs> he bought a new truck. He's got a four seat Can Am. It's like this most oh, frugal. This is the most frugal man I've ever known. Honestly. And he's spending, you know, $100,000 on all this stuff. And it's like, what's happening? <laughs> but he realizes that he wants to spend time with his grandkids, you know, which has really been a unique transformation to watch him because, you know, he was always a tough guy and yeah. doing all this stuff. And my brother does it, and we've got really close friends that, that all do it. And it's, a, it's just a really good, awesome time. It's just clean. You go down, you know, you camp. Yeah. You ride quads. You know, you go fast. It's just fun. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's just and it, with the kids too. You know, they just really genuinely enjoy it, and so it's a family opportunity for us to get away from home. Yeah, and and you know, just get because uh, you don't get that time back. You really don't. So no. that's something that it's a delicate life's a delicate balance, isn't it? <laughs> Business, <laughs> you know, is. relationships, and you know, because I could do this all day, every day, but uh, it's just something. I think once our kids are gone, I I probably want to get into it more. You know, get into maybe the large loss mastery type stuff. Okay. And uh, I've always told Chuck, you know, I was like, uh, I said, anytime you want a guy that could sweep the floor behind you, man, I'll be there <laughs> just to learn, just to be just, there, just, just, you know, soak just, it in. just to learn. And yeah, absolutely. Soak it in. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, I guess whatever comes up next, but we got, we've got a five, 10 year plan ahead of us with the water mitigation stuff. And I do tend to get into fire. Okay. You know, I, but I got to make sure that, you know, I like to have every bit of training I need to to master this, and then I can move on to the next and kind of add that to a repertoire of knowledge and just uh, as many, you know, uh, I guess your skill set to be sure. able to provide that. Uh, Which you were still into quality there. Absolutely. Got to have it. Absolutely. So. All right. I'm new to Washington. Oh, this yeah. This is going to be – so this is going to be my first year putting in for Washington tags. First year. And I think – so So the hunting – like, you've been hunting for a long time. Yes. Um, and and family, family hunting, old. and yep. that's that's awesome. I'm f- fairly new to it, especially coming out west. Mm-hmm. This year – or I should say last year, 2020, was the first first year I went on an elk hunt. Yeah. Um. The past four years, I've hunted antelope and mule deer. Mm-hmm. And then prior to that, probably eight years, whitetail in Indiana. Sitting, yeah, you guys sitting got in the stand. a lot of whitetail, but no no really, uh, there's no elk back there. There's no, no, there's no. no elk in no, Indiana. No, you got to come west. But now, 
after doing so after doing all of these hunts, my favorite is mule deer. So is my likewise, favorite mule deer. Aren't they just this majestic? They are, you know, elusive. Yeah, you know, uh, and and I don't know. It, it, I I have the same attraction. You'll you'll look straight at them and they'll just disappear, right? And then and then you pick them up over here and it's like where like well I was looking oh, right yes. at you. And they, they just that's that's why I say they're so elusive. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I hunt I've hunted Montana frequently. Okay, and. Um, you and I talked about this off air about, you know, going out of state and so forth. But yeah. So it's your first year. So let me ask you a question. So your first year putting in for, for, for permit draws. Yep. Okay. So uh, you've got in Washington, we've got quality elk. We've got a, a, a bull tag, right? So you've got those two different categories and you've got quality deer and then you've got um, a, a basically just a general a buck tag that you can get. So what do you intend on going for your first year? Are you going to go all in? Are you going moose? Are you going? No, no, no. Nope. I think I like. Re- I, I just want to hunt mule deer. Just mule deer. I just want to hunt <laughs> muleys. That's like that's all I want to do. Yeah. Oh, like uh, if I could go hunt muleys in Wyoming, Idaho, and Washington, I'd be, I'd be happy just with well, if mule you deer all season. So Washington is difficult to get tags here. I mean, yes, I've, oh, I've heard. Uh, it, I've eight. I have eight points. In okay. both elk and deer, uh, for quality elk and deer, I don't put in. I don't put in for the bull, uh, bull or buck tags. Okay, just because I feel like I don't. You know, I, if I'm going to get one, I'm just going to. I'm going to go for the money. So, uh, even with eight points, it's super difficult to. I mean, when you're talking some of the more desirable, like desert air, any odd. I mean, the, the the chances of you drawing a tag. I mean, my dad's got 22 points. I believe it is in in uh in deer or no elk that is and there's people that i know have 26 points that are still putting in for these areas like the Antioch, the desert day yeah and then you hear people that you know have two points to get drawn for these areas super frustrating right so you know if somebody from the department of fish and wildlife listen to this podcast i encourage them <laughs> to change their system and try to cater to the people that have put in for 26 years and these guys are 75 right. years old waiting to get a buck tag still waiting you yeah. know but you know it, it's it's based on chance, right? I mean, it's it's you know throw your hat in the ring, and I don't want to say it's a multiplier and how they do it, and I'm not too in tune to that kind of stuff. But uh, Washington is you know, but I could take you on some hunts. I would say I'm still trying to figure out. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out Washington and, and what the best areas are. Yeah, well, in, you know, I'm looking at the doing the e scouting, trying to figure out where I want to go. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's well, and it's just like what we do here. I mean, just you just got to talk to guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you can extract out of Jason, maybe a couple key areas, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we can help like, you in that like, department. No elk, just just yeah. muleys. I'm not after the elk. Yeah, so uh, it, it uh, good luck. I mean, <laughs> that's that's all I can really say. Uh, but uh, I, you know, there's a couple different. Like we used to hunt Kettle Falls area up in the northeast corner by Enchilium. Okay, yeah. So it's basically, you know, due north of, of Spokane. Yep. Um, but they had a lot of fires there, which, you know, uh, was pretty detrimental to the to the mule deer population there. There's whitetails there as well. But yeah. the, the mule deer season, you know, regular season, that is, you know, you can only go, I believe it's the first two weeks, and then they cut it off. And it, whitetail is still open. And of course, yes, it's three pointer better. Yeah, yep. so it, you know the mule deer uh, isn't as 
you know, they're just not as plentiful here as they are in Montana or Colorado and, and you know, Wyoming, some of those, uh, or even Idaho for that matter. Washington, it's uh, it's an elusive species that we talked about. It's just they're not – they have, you have such a short window of opportunity to hunt them. Yeah. And then to draw even a quality buck tag. So, like, if you go over where, um, you know, like Joaquin and the Chihuahua and Slide Ridge and those areas there, I mean, those are all really good tags. But See, I don't even know where these where these places it, it, are. Yeah. Over there by Eniot. So, it's kind of all the same general, you know, I would say the general area. But those are that's a, those are pretty good areas to put in for. But, you know, you're going to have to have, like, average of 14 points to get them, you know. So, you know. 14 points, that's 14 years. You don't get a double up or anything like that. You get a point for each year that you put in. Yeah. Um, you might get lucky, and that's why you put in for it. So it's just uh, for those that have been putting in for all those years, you know, mount the mounting frustration oh, when sure. it comes to yeah. drawing. Like last year, you drew six Wyoming tags. That doesn't Unbelievable. happen. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like <laughs> – the most I drew before that was two. I know, that's crazy. And then I drew six. I listened to that podcast. I'm like, six? Oh, my god. That's gosh. a lot of pressure, man. I didn't think I would I didn't think I would get it done. You did it, though. Like, I, I did. 16 yeah. days. Six, yeah. 16 for, days. For five. 16 days for five, oh, okay. and then I had a late hunt. I got you. For my, for my last album. And that was, that, was, uh, that was sort of the easy one. That was a guided. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was a shooting cows well, after, pretty much. It was yeah. more shooting than hunting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that kind of fun. You know, we talked before about being, you know, two years ago, 2019, we was up in northeast corner of Montana. Zero degrees, below zero at times, 40-mile-an-hour winds, staying in a Cabela's summer tent with one of them pop. You were telling me a little <laughs> you know, bit it, about You want to this. talk about being cold. That was that was considered crappy fun, honestly. Because <laughs> you don't forget it. You know, it's just crappy fun. But uh those experiences just like anything. What were you guys hunting up there? Mule deer. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's, uh, uh, you know, we hunt up there. It was very close to the Canadian border. And, uh, you know, you get some of them, some of them deer get pushed down from Canada at times. And I tell you, they got, they're, they're much different than, than the local bucks there. Okay. And so, um, when you're that close, of course, you got to be careful because there's, you know, you think the Canadian border, there's not much of a fence. Right, and they got border patrol there. You got to be super careful. You know where you're you get at. picked up. You know, you're toast. Yeah, especially especially harvesting an animal, and it gets on the other side. You're not able to go to retrieve it. Okay, you, you know that's then that's a that's why we don't even get that close because you don't want that happening, especially right. as a sportsman. You know, that's something that um, is frowned upon and and something that we don't stand by either. But yeah, getting get we were hunting mule deer up there. So it was a spot that actually a family distant family relative lived had a section of land up there and okay. then got acquainted and got you know got together with some farmers it was just unique how it all happened and found this this area got some permission like, and man this is some good hunting yeah now how <laughs> did you guys have to pack in or oh uh, no we can drive in okay yeah you can drive in i mean obviously it's weather permitting okay you know if you go later like if you can get as late into november as you can like around uh, i want to say like week before thanksgiving yeah that's the best time yeah but man sometimes you can't get there you know there's you know to where we go i mean there's going to be five six foot drifts of snow you're you're not going to get out yep so a lot of guys will go up there snowmobiling um but even then you know it's it's still hard to trek around and not many people have snowmobiles so you got to be careful we usually go first or second week we used to do like elk hunting below missoula 
yep. first, and then we would just make it all one trip. Um, actually, it was right there in Annis, uh, Montana. We would we would go in that area, and it's it's like you talked about. Steep, steep is steep, man. Yeah. I'm telling you, these are gulches, and when you commit to going down, you got to come back up. So, um, yeah, you better you better already mentally know it's that crappy fun. It's coming, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, well, I think that's one of the things that that I really like about the mule deer too. For me, like, not that I don't like, not like I dislike elk, but it was, it's so it's like you have to have such a you either like need people with like it's a yeah, much it's a, bigger it's a hunting party project. Effort. Yeah, and for me. Like, I just like going by myself, man. I just like doing what I want to do, going where I want to go. And right. so it really doesn't – I See, I don't To do try that. to pack an elk out by myself is not right. feasible. Not, well, that's and that's the reality of it. It's like when we go um, our hunting – like our family all hunts. So I'll go – I've got four uncles and obviously my dad. And then uh, when we get Jason out, you know, he's so busy now with, with what he's doing with this cane gall business. And well, doing and then all he's these, got – I mean – He's busy during the season. Oh, he's this guy, I mean, that, this he's guy, buried. I mean, the amount of hours he puts in is uh, is is more than I would even like to conceive. I mean, he is really committed to you know, and on top of that, he's an engineer for the state. Oh, on I didn't top know of that. everything else, yeah. <laughs> I didn't so know he's that. not only doing that, and then you know, his game calls was a side gig. Yeah, it's come this now type it's, of deal. Yeah, but you know we used to hunt a lot together. Had a lot of great hunting stories with him. But it is a family affair. Okay. And one thing you had mentioned, which I don't do, I don't go hunting alone. Okay. I don't do bear. I don't do cougar. <laughs> I I am uh, I, I am a wuss when it comes to that. <laughs> Let me tell you, I like to be protected. <laughs> well, I would say I'm almost a wuss. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't mind, I don't mind doing a, a black bear hunt. But I, I know in one of the podcasts I was like. Somebody was talking about going to Alaska, and I'm like, Grizzlies. Like, if there's Grizzlies, I'm not in. I'm not yeah, interested. Yeah, it's uh, it's just one of them things for me I haven't got over that fear. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just uh, maybe, I don't know. I just have not gone out and ventured on my own, and, and I do want to do that, though. That's something I want to overcome in my lifetime is just do. It's, it's nervy, man, because I know the yeah. first time – the first time I was in Idaho by myself, I was probably 10 miles off of the paved road, oh. 10 miles back. And then I hiked in like another three miles from camp and I was coming out in the dark. No way. And it was just like, Mm-mm. oh, that was that. F- but there's got to be something about you, that. You though, get that- more used to it. Like the more, the longer I was, cause I was there for I think eight days. Really? But that first time out was just like. So you, is, when did you start hunting then? You said you're fairly new to hunting this area, or, I mean, at least, but uh, how long have you been hunting for? So I started, I, well, I know I say hunting, but it's, yeah. that's what we call it here. It's hunting. It's not hunting. It's hunting. <laughs> <laughs> so pardon my so, slang. No, 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 you're good. So, uh, so yeah, I was in, in Indiana, like eight years in a tree doing whitetail. Okay. And then. Which is much different than what you Four years here. ago came to, came out West for the first time, which I can say like with Phelps and then they just got mm-hmm. picked up with meat eater. Yep. Um, I mean, it was Steve Ranella's podcast that pushed me to come really? out west. Yeah, it really, okay. it really was. Um, and now, and now I listen to a ton of people. And and now Robbie Denning is like my my guy that I'm He's listening to a lot because of the muleys. Yeah, that's all he hunts is muleys. So, um, but yeah, so Meat Eater and Steve Ranella really pushed me. So that was four years ago, first time I came out west, shot an antelope that year, and then uh, yeah, I've been coming out ever since. And then last year. Uh, spring bear was my first time, first time in Idaho, first time hunting bears. 
Yeah, um, that's uh, we were actually hunting elk in a trophy bear unit. Oh yeah, I was I was talking to you earlier on the phone about that, and uh, we oh, saw yeah yeah we saw far more bear, big bear, uh, and and think that's funny thing about you know the border of Idaho and Oregon you know the wolves you could use your elk tag in in Idaho to to tag a wolf yeah right and then Oregon they're super protected. So, so I know when I I know when I went to Idaho because I reached out to uh, Game and Fish mm-hmm. and trying when I was glad I did because I put a whole plan together, you know, and called them up and was like, hey, this is what I'm thinking because I, I already knew like don't call them up and ask them where to go. Yeah. So I called them up and was like, this is what I'm thinking. I want to go here, here. I'm going to park here, camp here. Like I had it all mapped out. And he, this guy, listened to me the whole till I was all done, and he goes. Yeah, that's under snow until the end of July. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> well, at least he was honest with you. He did say, yeah, that's yeah. a great plan. Good yeah, luck. no, he was, like, he was like, you're never getting back there. <laughs> and, uh, and then he was nice enough, though. He shared. He's like, why don't you check over here? And he put me in a different direction. Sure. And then I called him back. I was like, here's the new plan I just put together. And he was like, I like half of it. Then go over, you know. So oh, that's awesome. uh, he, did, he worked with me. But um, gosh, now I forget what I was. Oh, he told me, he's like, get get a wolf tag he goes yeah. if you see one shoot one yeah there it's a big it's a big problem yeah it's uh it's it's becoming progressively more in even in washington you know, yes they're the, oh they're expanding yeah. yeah and and at a rate faster than what we'd like to see and of course you know um and we could talk in length probably about the wolf issue but at least idaho is is managing that they're allowing their hunters to manage it um, on the, on being us as, as the predator to them. Well, I think for anybody listening, wondering about the wolf problem, how I heard it was, and I was listening to, I think it was Western Game Hunter, mm-hmm. and he's out of Idaho. Yep. And then uh, he, basically the plan was to reintroduce wolves to a, a 300, basically a 300 breeding pair. Yep. Like that was the goal was yep. to get 300. Yep. There is over 1,000 yes. in Idaho, and then that doesn't count all the wolves in the surrounding. And wolves, are they're tracking them. Um, they tracked a wolf from Idaho down to California back to Idaho. Whoa. Like, they are moving. So a lot of the, the kind of the preconceived notions that wolves don't travel that far, yeah. that the only the alpha male and alpha female breed, right. that's not true. Yeah, a lot see, of that's, them breed. I think that's a lot of the projection. Because of it was you know, a lot of the projection before when they introduced them, right? But it's and not. So that's you know as we start to see this as hunters, you know, because I think as hunters we probably care more about the sustainability of big game and well of all game really than than most people think. You know, yes. Some that aren't hunters, you know, if anybody's listening, it's just not going out, and it's more about the experience and just the killing. I feel like so many people think it's killing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, absolutely it's like it's not. not. No, it's not. It's so I mean, regulated. It's so. What we get out of it, you know, the, the, that's the most uh, organic meat that you could possibly get, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, for anybody that hasn't had an elk steak or deer steak, you know, they're missing out, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. But, you know. Well, I heard somebody say, too, you know, it's like, you know, one, take responsibility for the meat you're eating. Mm-hmm. And, and if you do, you know, if you do that, you're going to look at hunting a little differently. Well, absolutely. I think it's. I think every hunter needs to take that responsibility, and and any part of that animal, you know, that can be 
that could be realistically used to. Well, and I was th- I was on the on the other side. I was where non hunters. Oh, I see. Take responsibility right. oh, yeah, for yeah. the meat that you're eating. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. It doesn't. You there. It doesn't. You don't just tip the chef, right? And that's <laughs> it's done. It's yeah. like no. Think about where it came from, the life that the animal had, the, everything, yeah. the whole process, right? And and then you look at hunting different. Yeah, I think that a lot of people won't commit to that because it might change their perspective. <laughs> to be honest. Oh no, I yeah. So, uh, but you you know you talk about wolves, the Idaho and Oregon difference. You know, there's people in halfway Oregon that we talked to that we actually had the privilege of staying with. Okay, super awesome people. He's a bow hunter. He's bow hunter for many many years, and the last let's see, we was there two years ago, so 2019. And so five years back, he said that every time you go out and, uh, you know, whether you're bugling or what have you, a cow call, you will get surrounded by wolves. I've heard that. And so that's a problem. I mean, that's anybody that's – and so you're finding more and more people that aren't – and I don't know this for sure, but, you know, uh, sidearms in Washington are legal. To, to carry when you're when you're bow hunting yes. for, for protection. Yep. I don't know that about Oregon if, if that's the case or not, but you know people see that they're like, well, why are you carrying a sidearm? You're bow hunting. Well, when you get surrounded by wolves, there's a reason. Yeah, you know. And uh, but yeah, that's that's the disheartening thing about it because I think there were true good intentions initially in that process, and it's just it's out of control now. Yes. And uh, how do we get how do we rein that back uh, realistically without you know compromising the image or not the, necessarily the image. I think that's the wrong choice of words, but just, you know, going about it the right way to make sure that the ecosystem is balanced. Right. Because when you get so many, it's predi- out of balance. It right is. Now. I, I agree hundred percent. And I hope by, you know, by working with fish and wildlife and, you know, and I know that even goes up to the legislative level, what we're able to do uh, legally to that they can understand the, the level of importance for the sustainability for their big game. Right. Because you're going to, you know, even if it's about profit times, people are going to stop buying license. They're going to stop buying tags because they're going to be nothing there to hunt. There's anything there. Yeah. So. And I think you've, and I know that, I mean, in Idaho, they've seen that with with herds that have pretty much completely disappeared. They used to be there. Yeah. And so when the writing's on the wall, you should do something about it. And at least they're being proactive, at least trying to manage that side of things to get their population back up to a healthy, to a healthy level. Um, no, I forget, I forget the name of it, of the foundation, but basically, uh, it was some guys in Idaho that are, you know, a lot of elk hunters, well, a lot of elk hunters, when they opened up the wolf season Mm -hmm. to, you know, to help control the population, a lot of elk hunters went out and, and started trying to trap wolves, Yep, but they're not very good. They're not trappers right and wolves are very smart so basically uh kind of like long story short they spent the money on the wolf traps Mm -hmm. and were unsuccessful and now basically started a foundation where they're paying trappers reimbursing or paying trappers yeah so my dad after wolves my dad actually uh he's a nuisance trapper for the state here okay uh, and does and he's you know that was just something he did on the side. He trapped beaver and muskrat and otter here locally. Okay. You know, because, you know, you think about the waterways, how how uh, in, how they can dam up waterways and then cause a lot of problems for just the general population, period. Right. And so managing that that population, of course, we can't use conibears anymore. you got to use live traps or something like that because it's inhumane. That's that's kind of the, the way that that gone. So dad got out of it 
and then now he's a part of that state uh, nuisance trapper. So we don't have any wolves here, but I guarantee he'd love to go trap some wolf. <laughs> <laughs> he would absolutely love to do that. And those guys are a special breed. Yeah. You know, but at least they're, again, like you said, at least they're being proactive in, in that effort to try to just balance things out. Yeah. You know, and that's what we want to see, right? I mean, you we and I both, balance. you know, you've been hunting for eight years now. I've hunted all my life. And, you know, here in Southwest Washington, we had hoof rot disease. And it was. I've heard it about it. Just, I, don't about, I don't know. I don't know that much about it, but I know so, I've heard a lot of guys talking about it on forums. And yeah. So what it what it is is basically it rots the hoof and then gets up into the point where it starts affecting their health because they're not able to get around and then they're more susceptible to predators. Well, last year I'd have to say there was four many, four times as many bear black bear killed here locally than there ever has been. There's the bear population is is so high right now, and I can't give you a number, but. But our elk population, I think, it, you know, this started back in 2007, 2008. We really started to see the limpers. We called them the limpers. Okay. And I know that, that the, the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife went out here in, in the valley and they killed like some 500 hoof rod animals that oh, were, wow. were just could not get around. And so, you know, for us as hunters, it's like, gosh, I mean, you see this happening to, you know, this majestic big game animal, this big Roosevelt uh, elk and and you just it's just disheartening you know it's just sad to see that happen and absolutely you know we used to when I was telling you when I was when I when I tried the archery thing and I was successful a couple of years but we used to be able to go clear cut to clear cut up here in a Wilpaw Hills and you'd see one herd a different herd a different herd a different you do that all day long now you're lucky and those were groups of 20 to 30 sometimes 40 uh herds of, of elk yeah. or uh you know, and then now they're just groups. You might see seven, eight together at best. A lot smaller. But this year, this year, Jarrett, finally up behind our place over here, we had a group of 40. Healthy, healthy, no limpers. Okay. Five spike bulls. And it was just really encouraging to see that. And we've seen a lot of different areas that have had this same thing. So they're coming back. So they're coming back and they're healthy. And, and so it was, so it's been 10 years, though. It's just been a decline, and I would say 2014, 2015 was just the worst, worst years, and then they've just slowly crept back up. They've become resilient to this hoof rot disease, if you will, Okay. right? Uh, they developed, not, I wouldn't necessarily say an immunity, but a resiliency to it. You know, they've developed something, herd immunity, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and have really made the comeback, and I, and I hope to see that with other state populations that the wolves, you know, I, I'm trying to relate the two, you know, you see this decimation of of you know like the yellowstone herd right you know and 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 to to see what it was and to see what it isn't now it's just it's 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 just heart honestly it's just heartbreaking to see that because you want to see that thrive yeah well and i think you you also I mean, when you see it decline you know how long it's going to take for it to get back to and it's like oh my gosh there's so much work that needs done yes absolutely and like to the point where actually my dad the last couple of years you know, he didn't hunt elk because he felt that, you know, because he does a lot of out-of-state hunting. He did Saskatchewan elk hunt. So, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to harvest an elk here just be- just because he yeah. wants the sustainability because, you know, we, we were able to hunt during those times of those just awesome, you know, we would get out of our hunting party. I mean, that, our, our best year was seven bulls. Wow. You know, we had, we had Kilbossy for days. <laughs> 500 extra pounds of meat you know, but we that's what we ate as a family growing up i mean that's what we grew up on was game meat yeah game meat uh yellowfin potatoes and white rice 
and eggs for breakfast mixed yep. with mixed with cute potatoes, yellowfin potatoes. <laughs> That's where we grew up, and and game meat was was always a part of that. So, you know, we very much appreciate you know the experience of hunting, and then you know the after. Uh, experience as well and that's the meat yeah you know uh, like you were saying you know, i ask you, you know, like we do hospitality here you know i was going to bring you a big plate of this and this and this you know <laughs> and you're like oh some elk jerky with me i think that's awesome you know yeah. that, that you're it's that uh and i wish other people could experience that flavor explosion and and just the uh and really the hard work that took to get that that meat to not only get it that wherever you wherever you harvest that animal to get it to hang it and then to process it, like we process all of our own gaming. We've got a meat shop down at Grandma Jean's. I do. I do everything except the ground. Okay. So I'll do. I'll get all my steaks and all my uh-huh. roasts. I'll do all of that. I'll do. All the, I keep the shanks whole. Okay. Um, and then everything that's going to be ground, then I t- I take that somewhere and then have it into breakfast sausage or sure. Italian sausage. Now, do you you you've got a hunting party? So, like, what we do? How do you guys divvy up your meat? So, like, we actually share our meat with the whole family. Like my grandma. My own oh, okay. So we actually split it up eleven ways. So the so only we'll, the only hunting party that I that I was with was, well, I guess if you if you count the guided, the guided one, everybody sure everybody shot one. So sure. that wasn't. But the other one, uh, there was four of us total. Okay. And I kept I kept mine, and then JJ kept his, and then his brother and his dad, which his dad really wasn't hunting. Yeah. He had a tag in his pocket, but he wasn't really trying. Sure. Um. They they didn't they didn't, didn't get anything, but at the same time they're gonna go. They went and killed some big deer in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. I mean, this wasn't their only hunt, so they right. and, I, and I'm sure their freezers are full before sure. they even went. So no, we didn't we didn't divide anything up. If I it, whoever shot it kept it. Yeah, and that's all I see. A lot, I, I ask that question because a lot of people do that same thing, but it's always been, you know, like when my family grew up, that's that's that that was what their source of meat was. Yeah, you know, because it was you know you go out you harvest the animal. My family didn't have a lot of money growing up, so you did what you had to do to put food well, on the table. on it. Absolutely. My family yeah. did. And, you know, I'd be sitting here, uh, you know, thinking about those times. It's it's really, you know, a privilege to hunt now. It's just an enjoyment. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily, you know. Necessity. For, it's not a necessity. And so, you know, uh, that's something to growing up for myself. That's not my, like with my son who enjoys game meat, but he doesn't understand that process of knowing that mom and dad – both had jobs and we lived out of the garden and lived off the land kind of mentality. Yeah. So that that's that's a unique experience that I had the privilege to be a part of and uh, wish other people could experience that as well. You know, a lot of people don't have that opportunity they don't, in a big no, city, they don't. you know. And I know that, well, and that was one of the things I hear on this podcast and talking to, you know, talk, there's, I know a lot of people out east that, mm-hmm. you know, that hunt east and, and have questions about going west. So it's fun to get into these conversations because I know other people are listening to them and, sure. and picking stuff up on it. Um, but I was going to say this, the one of my elk I just sent, I sent back to Indiana and it got split up between my dad and my That's brother. Awesome. And, and I was just like, yeah. here, like here, here you guys go. Merry <laughs> Christmas. Here's an elk. Um, Cause my freezers are full. I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're good, but if there is something, I mean, there is when we now again, it's not, it's not necessary for me. Cause I mean, I could, buy a ribeye and put it on the table too yeah. but there is a certain level of pride that goes into it you know sure. me and my wife are eating and, and she's like this is real this is really good fresh and it's organic yeah right about as organic yeah. as you oh, can get oh it's as clean as you can get yeah so well you know you and i should uh you know try to connect up and do a hunt in washington oh, i mean even if you don't get drawn there's some there's some areas that you know 
I could definitely go and hike. Well, use... I know we're gonna we'll turn this podcast off, and then I have some more questions for you yeah. about yeah about where sure. to put in and and how to apply in Washington that. I don't think anybody else really cares or needs to. Yeah, right. <laughs> to listen to. <laughs> well, I appreciate everything you're doing with this. Uh, you know, keep it up, and I'm looking. You know, looking always forward to the next episode. Well, thanks, so, man. I appreciate yeah. that, and thanks for being on. Uh, thanks for having me. All right, that is Chris and Jarrett. We are wrapping up here from the Phelps Game Call Studios yes, in Washington. Hey, have a great day, everybody.